0: As a people, we are constantly evolving, and part of what influences how we evolve are the conversations we have with ourselves and other people. Welcome to Evolution Space Chats, where we take a moment to tell our stories, to see ourselves in each other, and to grow in dealing with our daily challenges. This is Divinity and you are on Evolution Space Chats brought to you by Sowetan. Now, in the second episode that we released on business and mental health of the podcast, we touch on how we embody so many of the experiences that we go through and we actually don't even realize it. And today is going to be A conversation that I'm not sure if I'm actually looking forward to having, but I realize at the same time that it's such a relevant conversation to have. If you live with anxiety, depression, if you have relationships that you feel contribute to your ill being and you're on a journey of healing and forgiveness, then this is an episode that you definitely, definitely want to stay tuned to right until the end. In studio today, I've got with me Unombumelelo Ronji. Now, many of you know her as political analyst and columnist, but today she's got a totally different hat on. She's here as writer and author of the book, How I Took Back My Power. Hi, Mbumi.
1: Hi, Divinity, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Thank you
0: for being here. Like I, I was saying that I'm not sure about this conversation that we're having today. So many triggers, even for me personally. Okay, and I'm going to try not run ahead of myself here. Yeah. Let's go back. So you've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Let's go back to when that happened, how it happened, like did yeah. Let's let's go straight back to how it all started.
1: Okay, so it's it's a bit of a longish story, but I'm going to try and and truncate it. So I've always been um an easy and an easy person, even even as a child. Um And how I managed that was I used to do a lot of stuff. So I I used to work hard, play hard, did a lot of sports, always running around, um, and uh, overachieving as well. Yeah. So when when things would happen in my life, so so the the major thing I'm going to talk about that that actually I think really pinpoints when when this anxiety became a real mm. issue for me was when my parents got divorced uh, when I was 11. Uh, my mom came home. Um, uh, actually, my mom picked us up from school. Uh, with one of her colleagues, I think it was her her supervisor at the time. And she picked me up from school, picked my sister up from from nursery school. We got home and she stripped the house and took most of her stuff Mm. and then took us away. So we didn't see our dad that day. He was at work when all of this happened. Um, two weeks down the line, we moved in with my, my aunt and uncle, my Mm. nanny and her husband. And, um, from then on my life changed. I moved schools and there was no conversation, right? Mm. I was never really, mom never told us what her plans were. Mom never told me what her plans were and stuff. I just woke up one day and this is what was happening in my life. I was an average student Mm. from by, by about that time. I was in grade five. Okay. From that time onwards, I became like an A student and I was in the top 10 up until um, you know, high school mm. and then I did well in university. So you can see already that my escape was to work and to work hard to sort of avoid my feelings. And when I wasn't doing academic stuff and reading books, mm. I was on the sports field. Mm. So I used to do a lot of, I would be at school and then I'd be extramural activities until late. And then I'd go home. I hated being... For some reason, I felt so uneasy at home. Mm. Um, and so, you know, let's t- fast forward. I'm an adult now. Um, I'm working. I'm married. New, um, and I'm trying to manage uh, a, a, a very difficult relationship. Mm. My marriage was not easy. Um, and at the same time, my professionally, I'm doing well, you know, I'm doing well academically, I'm finishing my studies, I'm doing honors, I'm doing masters, mm. I'm becoming uh, an authority in, in politics, and I'm getting on on radio, then I start working for Sowetan and I'm writing, and I'm really growing and I start teaching at Texas as a, a part time lecturer, mm. teaching politics. Um, and, and I'm really pushing myself. So I'm really pushing myself. And home is hard because I'm commuting from Pretoria to Joburg, but I'm expected to do all these uh, wifely duties. And, and, and I put a lot on myself because I was trying to prove that I'm a good wife, that I'm mm-hmm. a worthy wife, mm-hmm. right? Um, I hit 2017. I had started my PhD and gotten a new job. And I think it was, it must've been almost like nine months into that job that I, I started crashing. Literally, I couldn't concentrate. I struggled with appetite already. Before then, I struggled with headaches, chronic pain, um, uh, tension in my muscles, terrible period pains. I was often on painkillers and muscle relaxers. Um, I struggled with a lot of things, my immunity, my electrolytes, low sodium, low magnesium. I had headaches. I mean, I went to a neurologist, a rheumatologist, all sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. But I was managing and working hard and, you know, managing. But come, like, it was around June, July 2017, I I just crashed. And I'm, at that time, I'm like 31. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm young. What's going on? Mm. Why am I having all these issues? No doctor can tell me what's going on. One doctor told me I've got fibromyalgia. Now, fibromyalgia is like uh, a chronic pain disease that Mm. has no cure, where your nerves are just shooting off and sending pain signals to your body, but there's actually no pain. Mm. And I said, I can't accept that. I can't accept that I'm just going to be on pills for the rest of my life. Mm. So I started thinking about maybe this stuff is not just from... um, my physical health. It's not just a so physical now, problem.
0: So now, is this at the point where you were having the breakdown yes. when you had nine months into your new job? Exactly. You're starting to think, okay, maybe...
1: Maybe it's the pressure. Yeah. And something so more I thought, oh, no, maybe it's the pressure of the, of the PhD. It's the pressure of work. And I'm just taking on too much. And, you know, but literally, I, not, I couldn't focus. I, I attended a workshop. I was supposed to be running this workshop and... That was the end of me. I called a friend of mine. I told her, look, I'm, I'm, I'm falling apart. And and look, I, I didn't even, I wasn't a, a, a drinking person, but mm. I was craving, I wanted to go down to the bar and, and drown my <laughs> sorrows. And I was like, this is weird. This is not me, you know. So at that moment, I decided to, to Google um, a psychi- psychiatrists. Mm. Because I'd never explored that. Okay. I knew at some point that I needed counseling because of my parents' divorce and, and childhood issues. And just I just knew. But I never got a chance to do it.
0: Okay. So before we go forward, yeah. you're saying that you knew that at some point that you needed to to seek mental help. Yes. And contact a psychiatrist or psychologist or yeah. whatever the case may be. Two questions. You're saying that your parents' divorce affected you, but then there were other issues. Yes. What were these other issues that, it, so much for you to feel that, actually, yeah. I need to get help to deal dealing with all of this. What were the other issues that you were going through? So
1: I think the one thing was the fact that I didn't understand why there was so much tension between my mother and I. We just, as uh, the older I got, the more independent I got, the more tenuous the relationship got. The more we disagreed about stuff, especially about how to handle how to handle finances, what to do with with big things and mm. and how how she sought my advice or didn't seek my advice and and how she felt about me helping in line and not helping mm. and and just feeling that I, I am not meeting, you know, um, her expectations, even though I thought I've done so much in terms of making her proud as a as a as a daughter doing things right, you know, by the book, getting mm. married properly, all these things. Right. But I I just felt that we were not getting along. My mom her youngest sister uh, died in 2016 And I thought I was being there for her. I thought I was supporting her. Um, And there's just this major thing we disagreed on, and that was what to do with her sister's children, my cousins. And we just didn't see eye to eye on that. And I felt so frustrated and so angry Mm. because I I vehemently disagreed with how she was managing Mm. things. And and that really frustrated me because we always put up a front that we had a good relationship. But I think... The more life's pressures came, even when when I was getting married, we disagreed vehemently about whether my father should come to my wedding or not. Mm. Now, that confused me because I thought, as a staunch Christian, she's already done the whole forgiveness thing, right?
0: (laughs) She's gone through the process. process. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, why is this coming up, like, almost... Almost 20 years mm. <laughs> since they... After they yeah. had
0: divorced, and she, the whole scene of her stripping the her house down and you guys leaving, was there a relationship between you and your dad? Yeah,
1: yeah. that's going to be the second thing I was going to say. So the second issue was that dad wasn't there. And there was this contradiction between how strongly I felt about how I, I feel like I want a relationship with him and that I feel like he, he deserves forgiveness or whatever. And how my mom felt about it to say, no, but he was never there for you, you Mm. know, so how can you now just as you're getting married, I'm backtracking, 2012 I'm getting married, now you want this man at your wedding, what are you talking about, Mm. he was never there, you know, and it's true, he was hardly ever there, he disappeared, he stopped, he didn't call us, he didn't visit. Uh, in my book, uh, I actually went through a process. I went to my father, mm. literally, and I sat down with him and I asked him questions about, but, but what motivated you not to be present? Yet you claim to love us. You claim all these things about mm. your children, you know? And I have a chapter that's a bit of a part of a chapter that's dedicated to that conversation and how I, I finally sort of understood where my mom was coming from, but mm. also sort of now understand the flaws in my father.
0: But why did you, why did you want him at your wedding if he was never there?
1: Because I, I had this romanticized idea that my father always mm-hmm. loved us and that there was something that prevented him from coming along. And be, and also because later on in my life, like in, while I was in varsity, um, he kind of did show up once or twice. I found, I got his number um you know we needed help to pay my rent at some mm. point and he did come through once or twice and then we started talking i started talking to him and i started by passing my mom to get to him because i, I felt like when we were younger she, she was also sort of like a gatekeeper and, mm. and and i couldn't get to him so that was the other thing i thought she was the barrier from me yes, having a relationship yeah. with my father and i blamed her for that um, and that's why maybe I I sort of glorified him in my head because I, I, I decided not to see his flaws because mm-hmm. I was too busy blaming my mom for keeping mm-hmm. me from him. Mm-hmm. So so when all of that came to a head, 2016, my money dies and mom and I are not seeing eye to eye and I'm really angry at her, but other feelings started coming up, you know. About mom, that I didn't understand. Like, why is it? Why am I feeling so strongly about this issue? Then, of course, I had serious issues in my marriage. So my my marriage wasn't a happy one. Um, um, we we were from the outside, we looked like the perfect couple. You know, prof- professionally successful, financially successful. We both look good. Um, you know, we we just looked like the picture of a perfect young couple that's coming up. You mm-hmm. know, but but. Uh, but in, inside at home, the way we the way we treated each other and the way I've, I felt I felt like out there when I was at work and stuff, um, I, I you know, people valued me and and it was hard for me to believe that um, I was doing well because at home I felt devalued. I felt mm. invalidated. I felt like I just wasn't also meeting expectations. So that that you see, you see that that thread of mm. I'm not meeting expectations. I'm not enough, mm. and I'm not good enough. Mm. You and know, constantly
0: having, having to try, and to try prove yourself. myself.
1: So I I took that into work as well. this thing of constantly pushing myself, taking on more and more. Mm. So I think that's what then led to the burnout in 2017. That made me realize that this could just this could be more than just a physical ailment. So I need to call a psychiatrist. So I googled. Um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, my religious affiliation, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And so we've got the, this clinic, Vista Clinic, that was started by um, Seventh-day Adventists. And so I, I went straight there. It's a mm. psychiatric clinic. Okay. And I consciously w- looked for a black female psychiatrist. And because I'm, a, I'm trained in the social sciences, I understand the the whole issue of context and positionality. Mm. And I wanted somebody who would understand where I'm coming from as a black person yes. and a black woman, yes. So I found this doctor, um, uh, you know, Dr. Makubani, and I made an appointment with her. And and sh- you know, I sat down and I I spoke to her like this, like I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm I look like I'm okay, right? So yes. I'm okay, and I'm handling things. Um, and then she she looked at me. She was very calm and quiet. She, had, she didn't say much in that in that consultation. Um, but, but I could see that she, she had already figured out that there's, that something is is not not okay. Mm. So she asked me, are there two options? You can do the whole long-term thing and, and you have to come see me once a a week or whatever, or we could just admit you because, you know, at this point, I think that would be of, of, of value to you to Mm. get admitted and. For the full 21 days
0: So this is then The first consultation First
1: consultation right. And I'm thinking to myself This is bizarre
0: Exactly my thinking yes. As I'm sitting you know, here Hearing know? This is bizarre Is it not you know, It's a bit much to, yeah. You know
1: but, and, and I guess That's when it dawned on me That there's something Seriously amiss mm. And she see, she saw that So I said to her Look at this point I'm desperate So I'm willing to try Anything I'm, I'm willing to be open-minded. Mind you, though, on the inside, I'm thinking, I ain't telling nobody I'm coming to this place. Like, I'm not telling anybody <laughs> about this thing. Only person I'm going to tell is my supervisor because I need her permission to get that sick leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, "This is a hectic, guys." I've just moved from my my career is going well. Everything now I'm a top. Now I'm tell people I'm going to a psychiatric clinic. How do, like, explain how do I explain that? So, um, okay, so I make the arrangements. I went to my um, I went to my supervisor. I told her, "Look, I'm I'm having this challenge and I'm really struggling to cope with my work." She said to me, "You know what, Bumi, you're doing so well." And, and I'm so happy with your work. I'm willing to give you the time off. Okay. So you, you just go and take that time up. We, we need you mm. well. So she gave me the time off. I went in. I told my husband, he he, he wasn't really su- necessarily supportive because in his view, he feels stuff, he feels psychology, he felt at the time, I don't know if it's, it's, it, his mind uh, has changed, my husband at the time because he's now my ex-husband. Mm. Um, his his view was that, you know, we should handle these things as a family, you know, psychologists just muddy, muddy the waters. You know, they, they had their own agendas and whatever. But I was like, you know, at this point, really, I, I, I don't care because I, I, I need help. I know I need the help. He was away at the time. He was on a trip, and, and I, was, I was home alone. And, I, and that's the, the first week he was in there. So I went in to, to the clinic. And so how it works is you have a psychiatrist, and then they refer you to a psychologist. Okay. So the psychiatrist deals with all the medical stuff, your mm. med, your meds, and she prescribes all the stuff based on your symptoms. And mm. and, and then uh, the psychologist then does all the counseling stuff, all the um, sort of psychoanalysis and, mm. and dealing with your issues. So my psychologist is, is sort of specialized in trauma, you mm-hmm. know. When I went into her office the first time, uh, you know, the thing that really struck me about something she, she said, she asked me, okay, so you're here, what happened to you? And I didn't know how to answer that question. Like, what do you mean, what happened to me? And she said to me, you, 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 you know, like, I'm, I'm not using her words verbatim. This yes, is how I yes. interpreted and heard her when she was saying what she was saying is that you look so traumatized so flustered it's like something really major happened to you like like you've been raped or you've been in a car accident like what is the it, what happened to you mm. and for the life of me I couldn't answer that question I was like sure, I, I don't have a specific thing that I can tell you happened yeah, I could pinpoint. pinpoint to say you know it brought me here but as we spoke 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 through the first session the the second really powerful thing she said to me that really stuck with me was she said to me, you are a, uh, I don't know if she said 16, but te- something to do with the teens. But you're like a teenager, mm. you know, in an adult's body, and you need to grow up. that, that That's something she said to mm. me. You know, you could, somebody else would have maybe been offended by that. Like, oh, God, that day, she said that to me. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, um, but I took it as a challenge because... I'm the kind of person who likes a challenge, and I, because I'm into mm. proving myself. Yes. So even in therapy, I was trying to prove myself.
0: Like it's so weird. <laughs> like I'm not giving. I'm up, not I'm giving. I'm going, going to, I'm show, going to you. show you that I'm not some sixteen-year-old. How dare you? Like, it was did you understand what she meant, though? No, I'm not at the time. That.
1: At the time, I didn't quite grasp it. It it, it took a while because I've been now with I taking a break on therapy but i would now been with her so 2017 to now it's about four and a half years right mm. um, it took a while to figure out what she was saying and basically you know um, a- another reassurance she gave me in that same session so a third thing that came out of that session where she said you might not know now but we're yeah. going to figure it out mm. we're going to sit here every day and we're going <laughs> to figure <laughs> it out. out literally therapy every day uh, or like at least four days a week, yes. and then breaks
0: over the weekend for three weeks. So, were you admitted for three weeks, or is it just the sessions that were? No, three I weeks?
1: was admitted for three weeks. So, when when I was not in session with my therapist, um, so the clinic works on a CBT, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. So, you attend workshops, and and they teach you about how to manage your emotions, nutrition. Mm. Um um things like how to, how to be assertive mm. um how to piece together the story of your life to understand how you became the way you became, yes, how to manage your anxiety it's as the week was unfold, the weeks were unfolding that I realized, oh my gosh, and then, as I read my prescription, and as I mm-hmm. said with the psychiatrist that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm being treated for anxiety. Um This is hectic because it's a clinic. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been admitted if the psychiatrist didn't think I. If had it wasn't that bad. Yes. You, yeah. So, later on, um I, you know. So, so I spent the three weeks there. I was on the. So
0: yeah. So you spent the three weeks there. Yeah. And I'm sure your husband came back at some point yes. from being away. Yeah. And your your mom didn't know. No, that I didn't you were, tell her. How? Where was he saying? Were people not asking him where you were? Uh, w- no. What was he saying?
1: Uh, <laughs> you see, on that point, I really don't have a clue what he was okay. telling people. Uh, the only person, the only person in my. F- m- Family also that I, I was comfortable telling I think was my I'm not sure if I told my sister that I was co- I think I did my younger sister mm. she's se- about seven years younger than me then I then then my mom the the mm. the one who's my mom's o- only remaining sibling because we 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 kind of were closer mm. at that time um, I, I and then I think my in-laws knew mm. I think my my ex-husband did tell my my in-laws at the time because he was with them he had travelled okay. with them. But there was this very, there was this discomfort, you know. I was yes, uncomfortable, but he was also I'm uncomfortable. We were that. all,
0: and I realized now it was stigma. Yes, because now yeah. another thing that I actually want us to touch on yes. is the discomfort that we have yeah. in confronting all of the dysfunction and yeah. issues that we've ha- we have. And I want to say as a black and Christian community. Yes. Particularly, particularly those too. Because yeah. I'm sure it could be that somewhere like it's a, it's it's uncomfortable topics to talk about anywhere. But I like you were saying that with your husband he not someone who quite believed in yeah. all of that stuff. And so I wanted to touch about the stigma, our fear to actually confront Our dysfunction, the dysfunction in our lives, the dysfunction in our families, because ultimately that's the root of everything that you've gone through. The dysfunction that was just swept underneath the carpet and everybody hoped that it would just sit there and not smile. And then it just started coming out in all sorts of ways. So true.
1: So that's exactly what I touch on in my book. So so my book is like a journey into, you know, this adult experience and then journeying into my past my background mm-hmm. my lineage to explain how did i develop the so called healthy addictions that i have because you know the, the 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 penchant for overachieving and overworking and proving myself and uh, you know, working
0: hard to be loved and all that. And no stuff. one would think like overachieving yes. is actually a bad thing, but also something that I believe is that anything that we become overly obsessed exactly. with, then we must know that there's actually a a, 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 a bad root exactly to it. to it.
1: So I realize that well, in my genealogy, my lineage, uh, alcoholism is, is something that's there. My my on you know my my grandfather. Um, my mother's uh, father was mm. was a heavy drinker, and that runs through his side of the family. Um, and there are different ways of coping with things, right? Mm. So my my coping mechan- mechanism was um, sort of uh, designed around my faith. So I was a staunch Christian. So I believed in in being in sobriety. Mm. So I couldn't turn to Alcohol. drinking and drugs. And then I believed in sexual purity, right? So So I I didn't do the whole promiscuity thing. Um, And then so the only other thing that was left is to throw myself, is to define myself by what I do Mm. and what I achieve. achieve. Mm. So I was still a hollow person, but I was defining myself by a different kind of addiction, an acceptable addiction, an addiction about focusing on your image and how you come across as opposed to who you are on the Mm. inside and how healthy you are as a person, right? Mm. Um, and, And I feel to a certain extent that's what we do in the Christian faith, right? And we, we, we also over spiritualize things. Mm. For years, mm. I prayed about it. I fasted about it. I fasted about my illness. I went to cell group meetings. I was having headaches in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, exactly. Claiming the, the the healing of God, you know, all that stuff. Mm. And it wasn't helping. None of that stuff helped. Perhaps it prolonged my life. I, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, say that God's mercies it's not completely don't count. Yes. it just
0: needs to be accompanied, accompanied by, by practicality. Exactly,
1: some practical effort. And um, the the idea that we can evade, avoid, deny, ignore uh, our 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 pain away, our dysfunction away, um, is problematic. And I do write in the book that you can't pray or wish trauma away yeah so i i use the analogy of so how do we treat physical injuries so if somebody's involved in a car accident we call an ambulance yes the ambulance comes and stabilizes the Mm. person takes them to hospital the injuries are assessed it's decided this person will need surgery whatever so they go for surgery um then after that, we, you know, they, they are observed. Then there's rehabilitation. Mm. You know, let's say maybe it's a leg or something. The person needs to learn how to use the leg again or mm. if there's an amputation, whatever. We don't apply that to emotional and psychological trauma. We don't. First of all, we, we just move on. Um, and we don't talk, about particularly as black people. Mm. We just say, "Ah, you you know. You must, be you must be strong. These things happen. These things happen. You'll life. be okay. Yes, mm. you know. Uh, you know, uh, you, can think, uh, you know, that's what we say, right? But then I, I learned through my experience that no, it doesn't work like that. F- first of all, we must acknowledge that there was harm. Mm. There was a harm. But so, I think
0: that's where we get stuck. I feel like yeah. we we get stuck there. We don't want to acknowledge that there was exactly. harm. Exactly.
1: So so for me, that was an important thing. That my first admission helped me with my first interaction with a psychiatrist and a psychologist. They got me to realize and to um, unpack my subconscious mind where it had suppressed all the all the harm, right? And for me, um, I, I'm not talking about things like sexual abuse mm-hmm. and. Like hectic um, incident or many incidences of of, of physical violence, or they, although they they there were incidents mm. of physical violence in my in my situation from my from particularly from my mother. Um, they, what I'm talking about is really this the more insidious mm. types of abuse the the psychological abuse mm. the emotional abuse the manipulation the devaluation the neglect mm. you know um the, the the lack of being seen being heard being noticed is constantly being shut down um diminished mm. uh, dismissed you know that 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 kind of thing that leaves you feeling so insecure as a human being and always feeling like you're beholden to 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 your abuser because you need them to validate you If mm. they don't tell you you're amazing you don't you can't believe it and that's what creates the cycle i feel like I, I so so i didn't i didn't get that affirmation growing up and that validation growing up i got a lot of criticism um i got a lot of you're not good enough mm. messages mm. And literally being told that um, you 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 can't you, you you can't do anything other than what I tell you to do, so that controlling yeah. type of, of 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 style, and also the the use of bullying. My, you know, at, at some point, my mother admitted to that she said I bullied you. You know, mm. um, and, and today we talk about bullying and th- there's activism around bullying. We, we grew up being bullied, bullied you know, by our parents, our older siblings, those who have, I'm the eldest, so I, I didn't have an older sibling. But, but, but we grew up with that aggression. And then, and then some of us, those of us who are more sensitive and weak, who because I'm I'm a sensitive person, I I, mean, I sound very strong and and very forthright, but I'm actually quite sensitive. I'm quite gentle. I'm quite um, I'm I'm I feel very deeply and intensely. Mm. So, and I struggle to be aggressive. Um, although I learned at some point to be as a form of lashing out, but I struggle to be aggressive. And so what I what I what I ended up doing was becoming passive-aggressive, and that's what that was another uh, sort of uh, bad coping mechanism that that was fueling my anxiety and fueling my depression because I, I felt I had no outlet. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea, idea where you start feeling like you are powerless, hopeless, helpless, mm-hmm. you're just stuck mm-hmm. because you can't, even if you tell this person who's hurting you, they don't care. They don't care. You know, they're not going to th- hear th- you. They, they're not going to hear you. They don't see you. They don't respect you. Um, And that's what I felt like in my relationship with my mother and and that's what I felt like in my relationship with my ex-husband is that I'm just disrespected, totally disrespected. I'm not seen as human uh, to the extent that I'm dehumanized in this relationship and particularly when I raise concerns or I raise discomfort or I want to disagree uh, that the way that would be received. Was, was such that it was such to say, um, you you you're just not acceptable mm. if you if you don't meet you know if you don't want to follow uh, toe the line mm, kind of thing. Mm, mm. And for the lo- for for the longest, I tried to toe the line until I realized that um, th- there's a conflict inside of me. So there's Mbumi there's the Mpumi who's a the columnist and and the social science researcher who is. Constantly concerned about the plight of black people in this country um, and how the politics, uh, how how politics is not serving them, how government is not serving us, how how the process of of reconciliation and, you know, the TRC and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff didn't serve us as a people, how we are still marginalized and and how agency is still, um, you know, literally being stimmied and. You know we're prevented from 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 self actualization and from reaching our potentials. I that that is what I dedicate my work to, uh, you know, and that's what uh, my research is about. But how do I advocate for justice and fairness and equality um, out there yeah, when, you when I'm to. struggling to advocate for myself mm-hmm. and that equality and that respect and that dignity? Um, I'm struggling to to advocate for myself within the context of my relationships, the closest relationships, mm. and and I tolerate uh, being treated unjustly. I tolerate being treated as less than. I tolerate uh, the unfairness, you know. Mm. And and I go to church and I pretend like my family is happy and beautiful. And 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 even when you even when I try to raise it in the context of church, when I try to speak to some people. The response that I got was that, as Christians, maybe maybe it was the spaces ours in, mm. like you say, like I think you said, divinity. We we we're just not ready to face mm. the the truth, and 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 the fact that life is not rosy just because we know Jesus, mm. um, and that we're not promised that things are going to be perfect, perfect. But we want yeah. to present this per- the picture perfect of perfection. Picture, yes. And that's what, that was a conflict. I think that was what was making me physically ill, Mm. is that I was living a life totally,
0: completely
1: against my core
0: values. On that point, I want us to, you speak, I was listening to you speak, on a different platform, launching your book, and you speak about the habit you had of dissociating. Yeah, yeah. Can you touch on that? Please? So
1: um, I learned about this as as I was doing my therapy. But um, so it's it's basically where you you just live in denial and you start making up you know sort of fantasies. It can be a sort of a, it can be a physical experience where something is happening to you and you sort of have an out of body experience and and you don't. You don't see it. You don't feel it happening. It's almost like you're
0: saying that I can't handle this, whether it's emotional or or physical. physical. You're saying that I can't handle this traumatic experience that's happening to me. And so you almost just escape from it. Yes, you
1: completely escape from it. It's not happening to me. It's happening to somebody else. And... You, t- like and you like it's almost
0: like live another yeah, life. It's completely, like completely, not like a person who's gone through yes, a traumatic experience. Exactly. You just like you know what? I'm leaving this here. Yeah, and I'm going on, and this is how I'm going on. Exactly. And you w- went through that. Yeah, I did. And how did you come back to self? So, yeah, it was it was really rough. It took a
1: lot of my, it it took a lot of my therapist having to tell me, um, that I need to face. The reality that so so it's it's also connected to cognitive dissonance so cognitive mm. dissonance where where you're struggling to reconcile um, the conflict between um, so sort of what you think and the reality that you 're faced with and and so you you rationalize so I, yeah. I, I, I I struggled with cognitive dissonance, and I think that's what fueled my dissociation Mm. is that I would rationalize. Now cognitive dissonance as a child, um, and I've learned this through through my therapy, but also doing research and stuff is that as a child, we can never see our caregivers as bad people because we depend on them. Mm. That's why as kids, um, you know, we, we we will be treated badly by our mothers and fathers in different ways, mm. but we remain loyal to them. We won't tell other people what our mothers are doing to us, what our fathers are doing to us, our uncles, our caregivers, because we can't see them as bad people because mm. if we do that, where do we turn to? And we depend on them as people children. People little
0: people. And yes. Like, I'm a little I'm person, a little person. So <laughs> the big person must know best. Exactly.
1: The big person is right. The big person knows best. So he can't be bad then it means it I'm has to bad. be me exactly so i grew up with that mentality that my mom can't be wrong mm-hmm. i'm the one that's wrong Mm. But as I grew up and I got enlightened, and I went to university and I did social sciences, and you know all these, uh, you know, started discovering a lot of things about my own values and the fact that I'm actually an activist at heart. Mm. I realized, oh my gosh, no, she isn't right about everything. And actually, this idea that some, one person can be right all the time is problematic, mm. right? We're taught to be questioning in varsity. Yes. Varsity is about asking questions, and mm. sociology we say why, <laughs> why, 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 why. <laughs> And and those are the questions that our parents, when we we're growing up, that they don't want to hear. For my kids, particularly, ask yes, particularly the generation of our, our parents. Yes, you know, and the and the parenting style that they had, they had. In, including our grandparents before them. Mm. And so um, I, I began to challenge that to say, but mom can't always be right, mm. and 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 in that respect after dealing with mom it gave me the courage to deal with my marriage as well and say but this man can't always be right either I, so what happened is so i had to first get over the cognitive dissonance where i accept reality for what it is mm. this is the reality mom wasn't right when she did that mm. you know mom wasn't right when she told me that um if 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 i don't study hard and do well in my studies she doesn't know what's going to become of me because Generally, the message I always got was I'm lazy, I'm not industrious, um, you know, I'm too slow, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Those, that's what I was taught as, told as a child. And I always felt like um, I'm just this failure. Although, you know, every, everything else said, everything was same. saying, you're like the star, you know, or you're doing very well, you're succeeding. But I always felt like I'm failing at everything and so you know it was about challenging those ingrained beliefs that that mm. that programming um that you know my my my, ther- my therapist always said um, when a thought comes to your mind and the voice the the, the the critical voice comes challenge it with facts okay so the critical voice says you're a failure but where's the proof for that? Mm, mm. You know, say okay, where's the proof f- that I'm a failure? Mm. Actually, there's more proof that I'm 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 succeeding, succeeding than the minute I'm a failure, yes, right? 100%. Where's the proof that I'm not enough? Actually, mm. I'm showing up. I'm mm. showing up as a, a wife. I'm showing up as a as a daughter. I'm showing up as as a mother. I might not be showing. I might not be showing up in the ways that the people expect, expect to. me to. But it doesn't mean. you're But not it doesn't mean up. I'm not. You know. Yes. So she, she gave me that that the ability to say I can challenge these thoughts I, I, I've written even on my Twitter feed to say our anxiety lies to us our anxiety tells us lies mm. and so we actually have the right to challenge the voice of the anxiety, which is actually the critical voices of, of you know, over time, over the years mm. of, of circumstances. Some of us develop anxieties, not even childhood. It's because of present circumstances, work mm. circumstances, whatever, uh, uh, relationships as we get older. Uh, we may may have come from really good families and, mm. you know, we don't have that sure. historical baggage. But it's it's just that being able to to stop rationalizing people's bad behavior, stop taking responsibility by blaming myself. I had to stop doing that because it's something I learned as a child, and start realizing that. People are not always right. And I have the right to say no. I Mm. have the right to set boundaries. I have the right to say this is not working for me. This is hurting me. Mm. And if you don't listen to me, I have the right to enforce that boundary. If it means Mm. I'm going to stop talking to you, I'm going to stop talking to you. If it means I'm going to block you, I'm going to block you. If it means I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you. you, Which is what she did. Which is what I ended up doing. You your husband. Exactly. Because this now goes to the point of the book, you know, how I took back my power. I realized that, you know, I can sit in my helplessness and hopelessness and the feeling of powerlessness for the rest of my life, praying and hoping that somebody else will change mm. or somebody else will will adopt my values, mm. you know, and say, OK, I see where Bumi is coming from. Maybe I can meet her halfway. But I realized that that's an unloving thing to do. And loving to And loving, and loving to myself, but also to the next person. Mm. To wish a person to be who they're not or something they're not is not loving. Mm. And I had to realize that, um, firstly, I need to take responsibility for myself Mm. because that's the only person I can change and the only person I can deal with. Secondly, I have the responsibility to protect myself. I can't expect everybody else to protect me if I'm not protecting me. Mm. Thirdly, um, I can't impose on another person Um, my values because then I'm becoming like the abuser or I'm becoming like the person who's oppressing me or that I feel is exploiting Mm. me by trying to compel them to see and take my point of view and not giving them the space and the time to decide whether or not they want to do that. But also thirdly, understanding that with all of that said, if I'm still not happy, if I'm still not feeling safe, if I'm still not feeling like this is a place that I can Lived a, live a fulfilled and happy life uh, and my with 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 my well-being uh, like sort of taken care of then it's my responsibility to decide um what serves me better
0: mm-hmm. and if
1: leaving serves me better then i have to, exactly do to do that that's exactly what i'm going to do and i'm not saying it's an easy uh choice to make um you know uh, you've got a lot of things. When when you're in that kind of situation, you're, you're contending with a lot of things. You're contending with the social pressure. Um, will my family understand? Uh, will you know my sort of sort of uh, social circles um, and and my faith community in particular? Because for us as Christians, we're really embedded in our faith community. Um, how are they going to receive me? There's the internal pressure of the shame and the guilt. Am I doing the right thing? Then, of course, is the theological pressure also as a, as a Christian, mm. our ideas around divorce, mm. our ideas mm. around how we think God thinks about divorce. And I had to reconcile that with myself because one of the things I do touch on in the book is that I, I told myself I'm never Ever going to get divorced mm. because my, I thought my historical mission was to break the cycle of divorce in my family because my mom got divorced, my grandmother before that got divorced. And now so here you are. Here I am. How could I be getting divorced? But I had to reconcile something with myself. The same God that says he hates divorce in the book of Malachi, chapter two, also hates um, uh, oppression, abuse. Uh, exploitation mm, mm. and also co- makes also has other commandments about how we need to relate to each other mm, and treat each mm, other mm, in relationships mm, mm. and so when somebody is not living up to that and it's leading to my destruction I can't sit back and not fight for myself of course not. that is bad stewardship because the first thing that God made me a stewardship is of my a steward of is of myself mm my well-being, my health, my talents, and all mm-hmm. of that, I owe that to God. And that's actually one of the conversations I had with my ex-husband was to say, in as much as I have made a vow um, to, to stay here until death do us part, I've got a duty towards God to protect myself and be a good steward of my health and well-being. And being here is not serving that, mm. you know. And, and and so there are sacrifices. I mean, I walked away from my house. I left um, a great life. I had to sort of struggle, you know, make financial decisions that were very difficult. I was a, a new mom. My my daughter was had just turned two uh was just about to turn 2 when i left with her you know mm-hmm. um so there are sacrifices to be made in in a, in our in our reclaiming our power and exercising our agency in the most difficult situations and i'm even thinking about women who are um america I'm, 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 i don't i'm i'm even thinking about women who are um stuck in relationships where they're fully dependent on you know uh, the the male counterpart who um, don't have the support system and the networks and all of that. Um, But at some point, there's just something that needs to click about um, preserving ourselves. But I think it's also then becomes like um, a challenge, there's a societal and cultural challenge to say we need to create an environment and safe spaces and supportive spaces where people who find themselves in those kinds of situations can find solace. Because for me, if it wasn't for the few people who believed me, firstly, when I told them, Mm. and then secondly, didn't just uh, speak, you know, just talk about how they wanted to support me. They did. Mm. They actually put money where their mouths were. were. They they gave me advice. They linked me to networks, you know, and literally,
0: I've built my life through that support system. And I was about to ask you to speak about the concept of holding up space, but I think you have deeply gone into that. And I always say that we need to create the kind of society environment that we want to live in, that enables us to live a well life. Mm. And if we are not going to be the ones to do that, if we are going to stay in abusive relationships, if we are not going to confront the dysfunction and the toxicity that we see in our lives and in our communities and then there's literally just no hope yes yeah. like you're saying we can't just keep on talking about it we need to bring ourselves forward with our resources to say okay here we are how are we going to make this work this conversation has been just jewels 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 and more jewels and i think you and i must just continue somehow somewhere else yeah this podcast is available on Sowetan Live as well as on all major podcast platforms. Be part of our community and follow us on our social media platforms. Till we meet again next week, kuvele love and light, evolution is the key to breaking the cycle of the norm.